Well, good morning, Potomac Hills. What a, what a joy to see everyone. Thank you for coming today. Um, as I've said many times when I had the privilege of uh, leading you in the liturgy as, as your elder, you have a lot of places you could be other than here, and you chose to be here, and that is really important. So I'm really grateful to see you, and my family is glad to be back today for this visit as well. Well, my name is uh, James Murphy, and as I said, I was uh, until recently one of your ruling elders. Uh, my wife, Katie, and I moved uh, to Winchester, Virginia to be near her elderly parents. Um, and no sooner did we uh, uh, finish opening most of the boxes did her, her father, who's 86, end up in the hospital with emergency surgery and uh, is now recovering, um, but it's also now apparent that he has Alzheimer's. So uh, Katie is over there often and uh, their family, including her mother, need a lot of help. And so we covet your prayers and uh, just uh, pray that you would um, join us in, in uh, helping the elderly. Uh, there's need for that in today's world and so please pray for us and as I said we're really really grateful to be to be here today um, I think you'll recall one of the times I preached up here I took off my watch kind of ceremoniously and said you know what does it mean when one of the members of the session is up here and takes off his watch before he gets uh, ready to, to preach and if you recall my answer was it doesn't mean a thing right it doesn't mean a thing at all when a pastor takes his his watch off to get ready to, to, to preach I'm not a pastor and and so I said, well, it means even less, right? Well, now I'm not even one of your elders. I'm just a, a visiting speaker, so I won't take my watch off, but uh, if I did, it wouldn't mean a whole lot. Um, so uh, most of you do know me, um, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. There are a few here that are visitors. I'm thankful that you're here as well, and hope I get, get a chance uh, to meet you. Um, uh, so Katie and I haven't been gone too long, um, but uh, we've already begun to uh, to adjust to a new house and attending a new church and dealing with new challenges. And we're still members here of uh, Potomac Hills, uh, at least for another couple of weeks or maybe even a few months because uh, we haven't had yet an opportunity to join our new church, Eagle Heights Presbyterian in Winchester. Um, and shortly before uh, we moved, I resigned from the session. Uh, we had the officer's retreat and uh, they knew that I was leaving, and it's a bit hard to be on the session when we're an hour over an hour away. And Dr. Silverdale asked me if I was still willing to uh, take my scheduled turn uh, this summer uh, to exhort you from God's Word, and certainly I was excited to do that, so I said yes, so here I am. And uh, today we're just uh, continuing uh, your summer series on first things, um, and we're only covering one verse today, Romans, 8, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 8, and so you can uh, begin to turn there. Uh, but before we start, uh, let me open our time together in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for your amazing grace toward us, your people. Thank you for calling us to yourself and giving us faith and trust in Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for the peace that we now have with you, even though we were once your enemies and without hope in the world. Thank you for your visible church here in, at Potomac Hills and for all those who confess faith and repentance in Christ throughout the city, this country, and around the world. We love you, Lord. We need you now more than ever as the world around us struggles and suffers and as each of us battles sinfulness in our own lives and struggles against doubt and trials and temptations great and small. Holy Spirit, Please help us to draw near to you as we open your word and learn from you. Give us, Lord, encouragement and strength as we need 
to receive this from your word with gladness and to put your teaching into practice as we live out our faith in a watching world. Help us to hold each other accountable and to disciple each other well. Heavenly Father, I pray that as I exhort your people this morning that I would, that you would enable me to speak clearly. Please do not allow my sinfulness to muddle your truth, but only allow what is good and right to be received this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your patience with us. And most of all, thank you for giving us your Son and the faith that leads to salvation found only in him. In the matchless name of our precious Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before uh, I came today, my wife reminded me to read slowly. Uh, I tend to read quickly when I'm up here, and my first thought was, is they're just going to have to listen quickly. Uh, we are only doing one verse, but there is a lot there, um, and I, I think I, you'll find it uh, instructive and, and even convicting. Um, but before we, we jump into the passage, um, I was doing some research uh, this week as I was preparing and thinking of this idea of, of reputation, and, and I've, I stumbled on a, a report that says that close to 40 million Americans use the website and app Yelp every day. And 78% of Americans use some sort of social media every day. And we have our own uh, tool for that here at Potomac Hills, Realm. And if you're, you're not on Realm, it's a safe and, and great way to stay connected with what's going on here. So I hope that you are uh, part of our Realm group. Social media has become a place where many share thoughts and opinions on a wide range of topics. Customers of businesses everywhere share their impressions on the goods and services they receive on Yelp. Comments from Yelpers, as they are called, can make or break businesses, such as the importance of a business rep, business's reputation. If enough customers rate a repair shop with five stars, it will likely get selected more often with customers with broken stuff. If enough customers rate food or service at a restaurant poorly and leave unflattering comments, the establishment will struggle to survive its reputation potentially ruined in the marketplace. It's hard for a business to recover a good reputation following a lot of bad reviews. In the 1900s, the phrase, your reputation precedes you, started working its way into our speech. It essentially means exactly what you would think. It means your reputation arrived here ahead of you. Whatever it is about you that stands out, it was reported here before you got here. In other words, we've heard all about you. That would be a beneficial thing if you were known for good things, right? People could be glad to meet you. But of course, it could be the opposite as well. They say bad news travels fast, even faster than good news. And recently, I heard that studies are now showing that so-called fake news, often bad, travels faster and more widely than true news. So in today's cynical world of light speed, worldwide 24-hour communications, Having a good reputation is imperative if we are going to have an impact on the loss. I believe there are two models regarding the church and its role in evangelism. The first is the seeker-sensitive church, where believers invite their non-Christian neighbors to attend on Sunday. This is a good thing. Community outreach campaigns are, are advertised locally and online to bring the unchurched in to hear the pastor preach the gospel. Each week, the pastor is focused on communicating the basics of Christianity to visitors who do not know Christ. 
Again, a good thing. This model sees the harvest field here within the walls of the church. The farmers are the pastor and the Sunday school teachers. They are the ones that are trained to bring in the harvest. The second model is somewhat of the reverse. It sees the church as a place where farmers come to be trained and equipped to do the works of ministry around the dinner table, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, and anywhere else their daily lives take them. The farmers are every believer in the church. The harvest is not just here, not just on Sunday, and everyone is trained to give a reason for the hope they have in Christ to a world filled with people without hope. I see the second model here at Potomac Hills. All of you are the farmers, not just those on the session or on the diaconate, not just those with seminary degrees or teachers in Sunday school or children's church. All of you are the farmers and the harvest field is out there in the community and it's ripe for harvest. Of course, all churches everywhere should be preaching the gospel to unsaved visitors and every visitor should feel welcome no matter who they are, no matter how they look or, how, or what they believe. And of course, every new Christian and every lifelong mature Christian needs to be refreshed and encouraged daily by the truth of God's miraculous, gracious salvation, which paid for their sin. It is a beautiful yet simple message, and we all need the gospel. We never outgrow the truths of what Christ did when he completely absorbed our sin and the just wrath that we deserve. We all need to be reminded, lest we forget, that we have been given by faith alone, in Christ alone, forgiveness and a permanent adoption into God's eternal family, not because of anything good in us, but because of his mercy. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. We also need to realize that all believers are charged with carrying the message of the cross from this place to those who are imperiled without it. In 2007, the Pew Research Center polled people from across all of America. They polled people from an economically, racially, and geographically diverse cross-section. They found that 54% of Americans attend a religious service only a few times a year. That should lead us to understand that we, the church, the people with a biblical understanding and belief in the tenets of Christianity are the message. It's likely that we are the only source of information about Christianity to most of the people in our lives. Today, it is also likely that most of the people we know will never join us at church. But that doesn't mean to stop inviting them, right? It just means it's unlikely they're going to come, at least in today's culture. So as we demonstrate, we know... Um, so as we demonstrate what it means to be a Christian, we in effect preach the gospel to the unchurched. Sermons we hear and the verses we read on our own are meant to be lived out. The Holy Spirit enables us to obey and to follow Christ, even when it's hard and unpopular to do so. And our reputation as a church matters in a world obsessed with sharing reviews on everything from rest stops to restaurants. Our good reputation here at Potomac Hills should precede us into Loudoun County 
and beyond. And this brings us to our passage today. You've been studying first things here at Potomac Hills. Today we'll turn our attention to Romans chapter 1, verse 8, and read this. And please listen carefully and reverently as this is God's word. Paul writing to the mostly Gentile congregation in Rome says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's study of this verse, for the today's study of this verse, I'm loosely following the late Reverend James, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce's expositional commentary on Romans. I used several other resources, but I found his points on this passage most useful. Dr. Boyce suggests suggested four reasons from this passage for why a reputation for faith is worth having. First, he observed the believers in the Roman church possessed a genuine faith. Third, he pointed out, or second, he pointed out uh, that they had a contagious faith. Third, that their faith was a faith that encouraged others. And finally, he observed their faith was the central item of their reputation. So let's have a closer look at today's verse and explore each of these points. Paul begins verse eight by saying first, and as this is a series on first things, it's important for us to, to stop for a moment and consider what we uh, mean or what Paul meant by starting this verse with the word first. Now you'll note that there's not a second or a next or a third or, or what have you. This isn't a series. Paul isn't giving us a list, but what he's saying in effect is the most important thing that you should know as I begin this book is this. At first blush, it appears Paul's expressing thanks to the church in Rome. It sounds like he's express, expressing gratitude for them as a congregation. And you know, when I was assigned this verse, that was kind of my first kind of uh, impression of what I might talk about, how thankful I am for all of you, and I certainly am, and my family is as well. We were here for about 10 years, and it, it, it was a tremendous blessing to all of us. But what Paul actually says is, is a little bit easy to miss here. I'll read the verse again. Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul thanks God. He thanks God for their faith. He doesn't thank the Romans. He doesn't even thank them for their faith. Dr. Boyce puts it this way, quote, Paul begins by thanking God for these Christians and not by praising them for their commitment. If faith were a human achievement, then Paul would have praised the Roman Christians. He should have said, first, I thank you for believing in Jesus Christ, or I praise you for your faith. But Paul does not do this. Faith is worked in us by God as a result of the new birth. Therefore, Paul praises God, not man, for the Roman Christians, end quote. So believer, let's wrestle a moment with this truth. It is God who gives new birth. It is he who saves and makes us spiritually alive. While we were still sinners, as it says in Romans 5, we don't get our act together, we don't clean ourselves up, we don't decide to stir some sort of commitment in ourselves and then suddenly we become Christians. We don't, we don't piece it together in our minds. I met, I met a, uh, a friend uh, a number of years ago that basically said, well, when I get married and I start raising a family, then I'll get serious and I'll become a Christian, right? It's, it's not how it works according to scripture. 
So Paul was thankful that God gave the Roman Christians the faith people were talking about. God is the one who's credited with their fame. And so I ask, are you thankful that God has gifted you with faith? Or are you congratulating yourself for putting it together in your own mind while you were spiritually dead in sin and rebellion? So the first thing that Paul tells his readers is his gratitude toward his God for what he is achieving through his church. God is a person. He is Paul's God. He says, Paul says, I thank my God. We who believe, we believe in a personal God who knows us, who loves us, who knows our circumstances, our fears, our weaknesses, our failures. He knows everything there is to know about the human experience. And as believers, we belong to him just as he belongs to us. And it's not a trivial thing to say, my God. In fact, it is a central belief in our faith. Additionally, Paul thanks our God through Jesus Christ. And it's no small thing that we have a son who is ever before the Father mediating for us, just as he died as a willing substitute on the cross, sinless, obedient to death, so that we who believe could receive his perfection. In exchange, he, can re he received our punishment. We know from the context of the seven preceding verses in this chapter, that the Roman believers, the first readers of this letter, were loved by God and called to be saints. They belonged to Jesus Christ. And so we know that these people possessed the genuine faith, the first aspect of their reputation that Dr. Boyce notes. But what's important about faith? Why is the genuineness of faith important to Paul? Today we hear a lot about people's subjective feelings and beliefs their desires, the things they desire to be true. But our feelings and our desires don't make something true. Optimism and confidence in one's own abilities can be powerful assets in this life. But it's not what our, the Bible means by faith. We don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in ourselves. Our positive thinking does not produce hope. Our confidence and our only hope is in Christ his completed work, his death on the cross, the empty tomb, his continuing work in the world, his promises and his present and future reign. This is biblical Christianity. And it is this genuine faith that God produced in the Roman believers. Gratitude for this faith, which Paul is moved to first mention in this letter. It is the Romans' God-given genuine faith that produced a reputation that was proclaimed throughout the Roman Empire. What is the reputation of the Christian religion in the world today? Consider the following quote from an online article from August of last year written by Dr. Tracy Munsell, the executive director of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Quote, a full 69% of Americans self-identify as Christian. Yet a closer look at this large swath of American population reveals the professed Christian faith is built on disturb disturbingly shaky theological foundations. For example, the study found that although self-identified Christians in the study embrace many basic ten ten tenets of the faith, at the same time they hold many views in conflict with traditional teachings. Among these, believing people are basically good and rejecting the existence of objective truth rooted in scripture. Many of these Christians 
self-identified Christians, quote, even lack, even don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior among their theological beliefs. They look more to feelings, experiences, and family and friends than the Bible for moral guidance. A full 58% contend the Holy Spirit is not a real living being. And 50%, 57% embrace the concept of karma. And this, this is really shocking to me. And only 9% of this large population of self-identified Christians actually possesses a biblical worldview, according to new research from George Barna, the CRC director of research. As Barna explained, Christian has become somewhat of a generic term rather than a name that reflects a deep commitment to passionately pursuing and being like Jesus Christ. So I'm sure as you realize and then as you consider what your reputation might be as a Christian, many others in our time and throughout history have taken the name Christian and perhaps even taken up the banner of the church without being genuine Christians at all, without even believing its basic, basic tenets or acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Savior. So what do we conclude? So it appears that very few people who identify as Christians know much about Christianity, and many Americans, including those who claim to be Christians, do not attend church regularly. In fact, Pew found in 2007 that only 62% of those who self-identified as Christians attend church at least once or twice a month. Uh, and that, again, is why I, I thank you for being here and for even joining online. Uh, this is uh, an increasingly rare thing. These trends are, are getting worse. Uh, the number of people claiming to be Christians is dwindling. The number of Christians who attend church is dwindling. And so being here is, is really heartening to me um, to see all of you. And I know it's, uh, it's summer vacation and there are a lot of folks out and there are folks, a few folks that are sick. But it is really important that you, you uh, come here to... to meet with other Christians, to be encouraged, to use your gifts, to, to uh, um, serve others, to, uh, to be held accountable, to come under discipline, to receive instruction, to sing worship songs, to, to tithe, to give back a, a measure of what God has given you. All of those things are important, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, you, that you're here. And this brings us to Dr. Boyce's second observation. Believers in Rome had a contagious faith, he says. Today in the world of COVID, the word contagious is a very ne- has a very negative connotation, right? We used to say so-and-so had a contagious laugh or a contagious personality. We're essentially saying that uh, what they do or how they are rubs off on people, right? It was a good thing to have a contagious personality. Um, But I ask, you know, do the people who live around you, who work with you, who interact with you in your neighborhood and online know there's something different about you, maybe even something unusual about you? Can they see your faith? Does it cause them to wonder why you are the way you are? Do they talk about your faith? It seems that's what was happening with the Roman church. People were talking about their faith. Is your faith attractive? Does your reputation as a Christian precede you? Is your reputation one of a peacemaker, a humble and engaging person, someone who is gracious and patient with others? And when you sin against others, how does that play out? 
Are you a good employee, a good boss, a respected neighbor, a good representative of the name you represent, Christian? Listen, regrettably, we all periodically are not the examples Christ calls us to be. We are too often selfish, impatient, intolerant, ungracious. But even our sinfulness is an opportunity to demonstrate the goodness of God by showing the lost what it means to repent and to turn to our merciful God in humility and gratitude. Sadly, we can hurt our reputations as Christians. But even if we may never fully recover, in the eyes of some, our Heavenly Father is eager to forgive us each time we fail and continues to love us in spite of our sinfulness. As a new believer, a friend at college gave me a powerful word picture that I've never forgotten. He said to imagine a person is like a cup filled to the rim. When life's challenges shake that person, what's inside tends to spill out. And as believers, we're called to show humility, forgiveness, patience when our circumstances shake us up. And we don't always do that, do we? But imagine the reputation we would have if grace spilled out when things got tough. Imagine if when we respond sinfully to life's messiness, in faith we sought forgiveness and reconciliation from those we hurt. That kind of faith would be talked about. The, world, the word about us would get out. A contagious report would spread from person to person. We would be the talk of the neighborhood, the office, the family. I admit I find this convicting. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome 2,000 years ago, long before modern instant means of communications, long before email, long before Yelp. No one was getting any stars or anything like that on social media. Unlike his other letters to the churches, he never had met most, if not all, the members of the Roman church. He wrote this letter in about 57 AD, hundreds of miles away from Rome while he was in Corinth. Now, Katie and I are attending a church, a PCA church, less than 50 miles away from here in Winchester. And so far, we've found very few there that appear to have heard of Potomac Hills. And I doubt many here know much about Eagle Heights. There are certainly faithful, genuine believers in both congregations. Both are pastored by faithful pastors. But I worry that we're not having the impact we should be in our community. What of our denomination? Do we in the PCA have a contagious faith? Is our manner of interaction with those who do not call themselves believers intriguing or off-putting? Are we known for God's message of hope in the gospel? Does the word world see any difference in us at all? Are we kind? Are we hospitable? Are we thankful? Are we humble? Are we gracious? And as individuals, is our speech full of criticism and complaining? Is anyone saying about us, the members of this church or the members of Eagle Heights, I've noticed something unusual about these people. They have a joy and a peace that sticks out, a reputation for genuine kindness that is rare in this community. In the interest of time, I won't spend much uh, time on Dr. Boyce's third observation regarding this section of Romans chapter 1. There, are, there he points out that the church in Rome had a faith that encourages others. 
Paul writes in verses 11 and 12, outside of the section we're covering today, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Isn't it remarkable that the greatest evangelism, evangelist of all time, the writer of so much of the New Testament, the planner of so many churches, would desire the encouragement that would come from being in the presence of a congregation which he had never met, that their faith would encourage him and that he would have the opportunity to encourage them in return. I think that's really remarkable. Dr. Boyce's final observation about the Roman believers is that their faith was central and essential characteristic of their reputation. It wasn't their works, although I'm sure they had good works. It was their belief in Christ that was the talk of the known world. Keep in mind, Rome was the capital of the most powerful empire in the world at the time. It was a large and powerful, technologically advanced city with aqueducts, roads, immense buildings, and temples. And in that great city, that great pagan city, a group of believers had such a reputation for faith that word of it spread across the empire. Faith in Jesus is what matters. Good works are how we demonstrate our faith is genuine. Works are certainly important. And in fact, for those who have already been saved by faith, works are required. Good works are required. God has saved us not only so that we can be forgiven and with him in eternity, but so that we can do good works in this brief life. If we look back at the verses following those I read earlier from Ephesians 2, we see in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, speaking of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live in them, that we should practice. We're not saved by our works. We We cannot earn salvation and please God apart from first having faith in the work of Christ, his goodness, his obedience. If we do not transfer our trust from ourselves and our own efforts, to Jesus and what he did for sinners like us by dying for the elect. We have no hope of heaven, no peace. Nothing you can ever do will cause God to owe you anything. Grace is unmerited favor from an unobligated giver. We all deserve God's wrath. All of us are sinful. Only by trusting in Christ alone for salvation can you or can I be saved by God's judgment from God's judgment. We need the goodness of Jesus covering our sin. We each need his goodness credited to us by faith in what he has already done. Apart from faith in Jesus, there is no hope for any of us. So, Potomac Hills. The Apostle Paul was thankful for the church in Rome because God had given them faith in Jesus and news of that faith was being proclaimed throughout the empire. They had a genuine faith that was contagious, encouraging, and centered on Christ. Their faith was certainly worthy of being among the first things Paul writes about in his famous letter to the Romans. So are you thankful for the faith God has given you? Is your faith central to who you are, central to your reputation? Are you among the 9% of self-identified Christians in America who possess a biblical worldview? 
I'm confident that uh, attending here, you will hear what it means to be a Christian, what evangelical Christianity, what the Bible says. I hope you have believed those truths. Does your faith in Christ lead you toward good works for his glory? Is your faith and the faith of this congregation contagious? Does Leesburg see a difference in the people of this church? Is this faith is the faith of this congregation known in this community? Are people talking about Potomac Hill's good reputation? Does this congregation's good reputation precede it? I participated in a PCA church plant in Stafford County a number of years ago, and it was an exciting and challenging time. The pastor there said that he hoped that if their church ever closed its doors, Stafford County would grieve that day. He hoped that the members of the community would miss the light of the gospel shining from that congregation. And I think that's a really uh, convicting and powerful thought. If, if this church were somehow go away, would, would Leesburg miss it? Would Leesburg notice? What, what, what is our reputation? How, how much do they know about the God that we believe? How is our testimony and our reputation demonstrate the faith that we have in this community? Dr. Boyce concluded his chapter and his commentary uh, on uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 8 in this way. And uh, in the passage I'm about to read here, I've, I've made a few changes to it and um, replaced uh, the name of his church, 10th Presbyterian Church of Philadelphia with Potomac Hills Presbyterian. And, and I'm going to read it to you now. I pray that Potomac Hills might be known as a church where people believe that God has what, what believe what God has told us in the Bible and then actually try to live by what they find there. I pray Potomac Hills will be a church known for sh strong faith in Jesus Christ where people speak often, lovingly, and fearlessly of him. I pray Potomac Hills will be known for faith where God has placed us, not in some theoretical time or setting, but in the city of Leesburg, demonstrating that Jesus is the answer to the city's problems and the problems of those who live here. I pray that Potomac Hills will be rock hard in faith, in adversity as well as in prosperity, when praised as well as when persecuted. Thank you for having me this morning. Katie and I have missed being here. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you for your love for this congregation. Thank you for graciously giving many here faith in your son and for the salvation you have given them by enabling them to trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You are so faithful to us. Lord, I pray for those here that may have not yet believed in Christ and trusted him alone to save them from their sin. Would you please open their eyes, open their ears, Give them understanding and faith and call them to yourself today, forgiving them everything and saving them forever. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy, for the gifts of your spirit. God, we plead for the courage to serve you boldly and obediently such that those we live among would notice our faith and by your power be drawn to the gospel for salvation. Lord, I pray that 
the reputation for faith in you and the obedience to your word of this body of believers would honor you, that the God-given faith of Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church would be proclaimed here in Leesburg, Loudoun County, and beyond, that believers here would spread your fame and bring you glory as they walk faithfully in the good works which you have prepared for them, the good works which you have saved them to do. Help us all to trust you more, especially in the difficult times when we are prone to worry, prone to anxiety, and prone to doubt. Help us in our unbelief and encourage us by faithfulness, the faithfulness of believers you have put in our, in our lives. Help us to see Jesus at work in our lives, in our families, and in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods. Help us, we pray, to serve you faithfully and show that being a Christian is not about being good enough to be loved by you, but about trusting Jesus who was good enough to die in our place. We love you, Lord. We trust you with all of this because we know you are faithful. Thank you. We lift this prayer up to you, our mighty King, Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. Amen.